Good morning, church. There you go. Today's date is June 3rd, 2018. And today's message is titled Toxic Unity. Toxic Unity. Y'all full of the Holy Ghost this morning? Y'all excited about 10 baptisms that are going to be taking place? Come on, this is life-changing ministries, not life-sustaining ministries. Come on, we're going to have a good time in God's Word this morning. And I'm looking forward to engaging His Word and watching it come alive. The Spirit of Jesus has been inspiring messages regarding unity in this church, and for good reason. Last Sunday, Pastor Wade, y'all know him, the homiletic blade. He preached, you're so lame. Did y'all enjoy that message? I did. It was focused on complete unity so that the world would know who Jesus is. And the result is that we, like Mephibosheth, would be invited to sit shoulder to shoulder at the king's table. Is that a high honor to sit at the king's table? First comes in the recognition that you were first lame and we need that invitation. This was continued last Wednesday by Justin Treaster when he preached Army of One. In this message, Justin revealed the obvious truth that you have a place in this body. Say this with me. I I have a place place in this body. body. That was a great, great message. Our unity in the faith is the goal of five-fold ministry. You know, we focus a lot on preparing people for works of service. That's the first part. The end goal is that we are unified in the faith and knowledge of who Jesus is. So y'all ready to get started? Come on, let's pick back up in Justin's message and go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 12. Shout out there when you are there. Picking up with the thought previously in verse 11 that the fivefold ministry exists. We'll pick up now in verse 12 to prepare God's people for works of service. Let me first ask you a question. Are you God's people? Then you have a mission and a goal to be prepared for works of service. Here's the next goal. So that the body of Christ may be built up. Say built up. Until we all reach unity. Everybody say unity. In the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Come on, raise your hand if you want to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If your hand's not up, something's broke. I hope it's your arm. (laughs) Say yes if you want to become mature. Ah, there we go. Shout amen if you want to reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Amen. Come on, you're alive this morning. Oh, coffee must have been strong in the pot. All right, then let's look at how to achieve these items. Go to Acts chapter 1. We'll start with verse 14. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Take that, Catholics, just let you know. Anyway, so what we have here is the first occurrence of a word called homothamaden. Let's pull up the slide that describes it in the complete word study. Homo the maiden, unanimous, of one mind, which is from homos, one and the same, and thumos, temperament or mind, with unanimous consent in one accord, all together. Say that with me. All All together. together. There we go. We can say that unity is one of the most or the most powerful things that we can possess in the kingdom of God. But it can also be one of the most greatest detriments to the kingdom of God. It depends on what that unity is based upon. The title of today's message was Toxic Unity. Come on, we've all at some point have seen a picture 
of a rock concert, right? I emphasize just seeing a picture. We've never actually been to one. And you have such a unity during that concert, but it's unified around something that is sinful, wicked, and immoral. Am I right? Well, what we experienced in here, unifying around the presence and the truth of who God is, you feel an exponential amount of more power and life in what we experienced this morning. Amen? Well, let's run through some scriptures. We're going to put up a list of scriptures of occurrences where Homothe Maiden is in the book of Acts. Let's go to the next one. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Say, there when you are there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were, say it with me, all together in one place. Acts 2, 46, skip down. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You want to know why we fellowship and have the culture of life that we do in this church? Because I see no other kind in the book of Acts. You know that this unity was formed as a result of gathering together in distress, not knowing what the future was going to look like after their king and Messiah has died. After he has risen again and now ascended into heaven, and they're sitting there waiting for the promise, but unsure of when it would happen. Acts 4, 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Acts 5, 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Are you getting the point that we're to not to be individuals, but instead were to be one complete body. That they met and joined each other frequently, if not daily, encouraging and edifying each other about the kingdom of God and with the word of God. Acts 7, 57. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. This is one of the first occurrences of a toxic unity. This was in response to the preaching of the gospel and persecution on the early church. See, this word, home the maiden, it is all inclusive of whether or not it is of a godly origin or of a sinful origin. Is it a godly unity or is it a toxic unity? Here we have a clear example of a toxic unity. Let's go to 8.6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Here we have a great example. You think people would pay close attention to what you have to say when the miraculous power of God begins to flow through you? Let's say you're standing in H-E-B. Somebody falls and breaks a leg. Justin Linton runs over, puts his hands on that leg and says, Shonda Bahia. (laughs) The miraculous power of God occurs. And a leg that was not designed to go 90 degrees at a certain point is now made whole. And that person gets up and walks. What happens now? Well, everybody's going to be looking to Justin Linton to describe and tell them, where does this miraculous power come from? And that they, you immediately find this unanimous, altogether, home with the maiden present so that people's hearts could receive the word of God. Do you see the power that's there in our unity? And his ability to lay hands on that person who had a broken leg was a result of his unity with the living God. Acts chapter 12, verse 20. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, 
a trusted personal servant of the king. This is King Herod. They asked for peace, but they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Now, is this a good or is this a bad level of uh, unity? It's bad. It's bad. Well, let's look at the fruit and they'll be able to, to justify and attest to why it's bad. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. This was toxic unity. That for the sake of satisfying their stomachs, they went from quarreling with this king to now saying that he has the voice of a God. That's quite a drastic difference, don't you think? But it was self-serving in every way. You know, that's one of the key indicators of how unity can be toxic. Is that it is laced and founded upon selfish ambition. Is this easy to see in God's word? Yes. Yes. And we're not done going through the list of them. Let's go to Acts 15, verse 25. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed, home with the maiden, to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Do we ever have problems in church? Do we ever have problems in this church? Be more specific. Yes. Well, it is the fivefold ministry's responsibility to begin to address those problems, correct them, and bring them back to a point of unity with God and therefore unity with the standard. What we see here with Paul and Barnabas is that there's disruption in the first church, Gentile church, Antioch. And because of that disruption, they all had to come to a point of unity together to then make the decision of how to begin to correct these problems in church. The things that we stress here in this church are identical to what we're seeing stressed here in Scripture for the church in the book of Acts. That none of us operates autonomously. That even if there's a a small decision about something to do on the stage, something to do with projection of audiovisual, children's church, you name it, every facet of this church is done in a manner of... Uh, home with the maiden and unity among the leadership. You know, today we're having an elders meeting and it's monthly and we get together and let me tell you what we talk about. We talk about you because our goal is to bring unity of God's standard to your life, unity with each other and unity ultimately with the will of God to be accomplished in your life. It is for your best interests. That we get together and we are measuring the successes of what's happening and we are paying attention to the things that are disharmonious. Because if we didn't do so, we would be irresponsible servants and overseers of your souls. Come on, raise your hand if you ever had a life-giving rebuke given to you in this church. You've had two. Not too many, just two. Okay. We'll add to that. <laughs> so during that point in time, when you were given a life-giving rebuke, was it viewed as life-giving in the moment? No. no. There was some level, if I had to just guess, some level of toxic unity that made what we were addressing displeasing. And until your, your hands and your grasp were unwrenched from that idolatrous position and clenched to the standard of God's word, that's when it became life-giving. Amen? Amen. It is our goal, it is our desire that within this church, we are matching the unity that we see in the book of Acts. We match the unity that is in the standard from Genesis to Revelation. Because the ultimate goal is that, Joseph, that you have life. Brandy, that you have life. Carlos, you have life. 
Gabe Sudley, that you have life, even though you have that wonderful uh, Legio Fulminata shirt on. We would be failing you as your pastors if we did not address problems that result in toxic unity. Let's go to Acts chapter 18, verse 12. Say there when you are there. While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. You know, one of the elements that we see is that from time to time, there are factions that arise within this church. But they're not blatant and they're not clear. They're usually laced with something. You bring someone to court because they have broken the law, right? There's a justifiable means of something that they did. But there's also an interlaced motive, a toxic unity with something that is giving that life. Well, what we see here is that Paul, an anointed man of God, advancing the gospel, bringing to better light what was missing in the gospel message, was brought to court on some technicality, but with ill motive. And their toxic unity with that ill motive resulted in a unity of attack on the men that were anointed by God to perform what we see in Ephesians 4.11. So let's bring that home. What in your life, what out of your mouth, and let's go even deeper, what inside of your heart have you allowed to arise that is factious, that is based on a technicality, but for the point of justifying a motive of bringing a unity against one of the leaders in this church? Let's say you're good with the leaders. What about someone else just within the body that spoke an anointed word to you, but in the beginning, it challenged your idolatry? I don't know why they would ever say that to me, because they should know that I do. And you may be sweet as sugar on the outside. Never say an ill word to their face, maybe not even to someone else. But don't you know that the attitudes of your heart do eventually come out of your mouth? That you ever sat by someone and without them saying a word, you can feel contention and dissension all around them. You just begin to grow tense. You're like, I have no idea why I'm getting angry, but I am right now. That contentiousness, factiousness, it is an element, an an element of the sinful nature. And it produces only one kind of fruit. And that is death. But what we see here is that there is a homothomaden, a unity around factiousness. And it's aimed at the very men that God sent to give them life. Let's go to Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. Shout it, come on. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man. Say this with me. Rushed Rushed. as as one man into the theater. This was taking place in a beautiful town called Ephesus. And Paul was challenging their idolatry of Diana. Our great is Artemis. And as a result, they came into unity of attack and rushed as one man to seize him. What are you doing when you're getting together with people? Are you gathering around an offense or basically what you're against? Because these guys were against Paul because he was against their idolatry. 
When you sit in your homes, when you have fellowship, when you talk on the phone, even some of the things that you do online, are they centered around what you are against? Are they based upon what the word of God is for? This is a time of real evaluation for this church because I'm not preaching to a mass of people outside this building. I'm preaching to those in this building. My heart and desire is that this place is free of toxic unity. We cannot tolerate it because it is certain and it is near death. I've watched churches. I've watched people's lives destroyed, decimated, returning back further into sin than where they began because there was toxic unity. And as a pastor, I lovingly want to wield a shepherd staff and a distaff. I want to have the loving nurture that wants to pull you in and help you any way that I can and wield the authority of God to drive away whatever is putting that into jeopardy. My heart is that you live. My heart is that you thrive. But realize that people can be unified on anything, particularly what they're against. Let me speak to you ladies. Y'all know what it's like in middle school. I'll just make it a safe realm. It's not where you are now unless you're a middle school age. And most of you are homeschooled, so it really doesn't matter. <laughs> but you know what it's like? All the girls sitting at the table, and a new girl walks in. She's pretty. She has nice clothes. Immediately, there's a unity at that table. And ladies, what is it about? We don't like her. We don't like her. <laughs> That's right. Mean girls. Look at her hair. Look at the way that she walks. Who is she wear that kind of dress? She looks like a can of biscuits about to pop. Let's let that settle in for a minute. But immediately there's a unity that's there, but it's, it's what they're against. And what are they against? They're against whatever could be competing with their idolatrous position. What do you do when someone new comes into this church and they are gifted, they're anointed, they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They achieve more in the kingdom in six months than you have in five years. What do you do? Do you sit around and collectively group together with others that feel just like you do and pick apart and criticize the flaws supposedly that they have or maybe some real flaws? What are you unifying around? If it's what it's you're against, I'm going to tell you right now, you're in toxic unity. Let's repent of it. Let's repent of it today. We're going to have a baptism that symbolizes a death to the old man and a resurrection of the new man. Well, it's not just water that we're looking at. We're looking at a transformation that should occur. And that means that we are be being filled with the Holy Ghost. That means that we are constantly being saved. A constant transformation, revolution against our sinful nature. Romans 15, we'll start in verse 5, but the word home of the maiden occurs in verse 6. If you felt like I haven't been preaching to you yet, just wait. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart, this is homo thumene, and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the key elements of this scripture is that the heart desire of Paul for this church, the heart's desire of the leadership in this church for you is that God will give us endurance. Do you need endurance? Yes. Do you want endurance? Yes. Do you want encouragement? Yes. yes, absolutely. Do you want a spirit of unity? Yes. Here's how we begin to get it. As we have one heart or being unified with the standard of God's word and first put to death what belongs to our sinful nature. 
No, because if you cannot identify what your sinful nature is, you'll never be able to put it to death. And when other people point it out, you're going to argue with them. You'll defend it. You'll give every red herring a justification of how you're just being misunderstood. And they don't know you, your heart completely. But the minute that we begin to join our hearts to Christ and thereby joining our hearts together with one voice, we have the ability to glorify God. But let me touch on toxic unity. Toxic unity does not have endurance. It drains you. You become exasperated. Toxic unity does not have encouragement. It has discouragement coming out of you. It exudes around you. Toxic unity does not have one heart. It has a divided heart, a fractured heart. There's no unity between you and the word. You can't point to a scripture that guides how to react to someone else in this church. You point to offenses. You point to feelings. You point to suppositions and supposed intents. And one mouth, instead of a voice of unity around glorifying God, it's a voice of unity of, did you bring us out in this desert to die? Lord, did you put me in this church just to shame me to death and and show everyone how decrepit I really am? To point out my flaws to everyone? And this comes as a very subtle way, because that's obvious. That's what goes on inside of our hearts. But it looks something like this. It's a need to verbalize unnecessary differences. Unnecessary differences. It's petty. You know, I saw Pastor Matt driving that avalanche with the rear end all messed up. And I just don't see how a man of God could go around driving such a shabby car. I mean, he's lazy. He's pathetic. He's not doing a good job managing his own home. Look at the way they treat his car. Yet you have no idea the intent and purpose of why I'm leaving it there. And you begin to draw a distinction between yourself and someone else based on an unnecessary difference. There's nothing to do with the Word of God that has to do with the difference that you're making. It is only to separate yourself apart to show yourself to be greater. Come on, we need to measure our hearts and thoughts this morning. Because your life and other people's lives are on the line. This is a matter of life and death. You know how many pictures that I can bear to look at of previous church events in our history? 15 years of being here. Because it encapsulates people that have given in to toxic unity, that have separated themselves from this body, separated themselves from the will of God, and with a justification went to go find something else to go do. I don't want that for you. So identify in your own heart, nobody else's, your desire or need to point out unnecessary differences. Do we have it? Come on, do we have it? Amen. In this church, we must live in the unity based on what God is for, not what we are against. Could you pull up the quote? This is from a, a wonderful book called Surviving the Anointing. Will you have strong convictions about And will you stand resolutely against? Because one of the tricks you will learn in the Lord's work, as I will make note of later, that you can hold a work together by teaching your people to hate. A unity based on mutual hate of something or someone. Isn't this easy to do? Yes. Here's an easy one for you to identify. Work. Right? I mean, you can stand at the water cooler or wherever else, in the coffee pot, you name it. I don't know what they have now with, you know, all the new age offices. But uh, you gather around, and the minute you begin to voice a dislike for something, maybe even a hatred for a task. It's not necessarily a boss, but it's a task. Next thing you know, 
One, two, three, four people start gathering around you. Yeah, you know what? That's, that same thing happens to me. And this is the way that... And you're identifying the task, but what you're eventually going to connect it to is the person that issued that task, right? You begin to grumble. You begin to complain. And next thing you know, standing there at the water cooler, there's a toxic unity. And then within a couple of weeks, it's like, you know what? We need a raise. They haven't given us a raise in whatever months, and they keep giving us these tasks. This is an injustice. But it all started with that mutual gathering around something that you hated. And it very well made true. You may be worked like a dog and paid peanuts. But it's where that unity originated. Here within this church, it may sound something like, I don't know why they fellowship so much. They're just way too intense. Don't they know that they need more family time? That we may need more time for ourselves? Yet, you stand on the outside and make every reason why you can't attend things so you can sit in your own little comfortable domain and serve your own little gods. That you're not making the effort to join in the unity that's already there. Because it really doesn't fit all the things that are comfortable to you. Because that's what church is about. It's about curtailing all of our efforts to your desires and needs. Is it? No. But when we get this right, what's the right attitude? The right attitude is, I am going to die for my brother's vision. You know what? I may show up and they are serving the most detestable food that I, I've ever hated in my whole life. It may be beans. It may be mint. It may be something. I don't know. I hate mint, by the way. I love beans. I hate mint. Combine them together and it's awful. But you, if I show up at a house and they're not serving what you want, there's too much cigar smoke, it's not the kind of fellowship you hope, you're not getting the attention that you needed, and therefore justify not pressing in the force to the body. You're living for you and your unity. You're not living for God's. Die to yourself. You want to know how to join and really get out of toxic unity? Die to yourself. Venture, press, force your way into being one with this body because this is where Jesus put you. And one of the most dangerous things that can happen in this church has happened in the past. And I'm trying to fix right now is that we have little paragroups. And what I mean by paragroups are those that are on the fringe that will fellowship with everybody else but the pastors. Because as far as I see it in Ephesians 4, it's the fivefold ministry responsibility to prepare you and bring you into unity. That you will make the exception to fellowship with all the others that feel discontented just as much as you do. And when you get together, it can be subtle or it can be bold. But there's a disunity between you and the leadership of this church. And let's say you love us. Let's say it's not against us. It may be those that are disciples that are around us, those that are forcing their way in to be unified. Then you start partying at them. You start drawing an unnecessary distinction and a justification of why you can't live up to the standard that we're calling everybody else to. It's time to repent, church. It's time to repent of this. There is that element in this church right now. And it's got to stop. Let's look at how they're accomplished. Let's go back to Acts. Chapter 1, verse 14. In Acts 1, 14, here we see that the unity of the believers brought them to a place to make right judgment concerning one of the original disciples who was infected with a toxic unity. His name was Judas. That the very first occurrence of the word home with the maiden was to bring in unity the leadership of the church to deal with a toxic unity. Judas, as Peter states, it was one of their number and shared in their ministry. No doubt that he was an integral part. Judas walked with Jesus, participating in every spirit-led work displaying the power of God. 
The end result, however, was that the selfish ambition of Judas led to his replacement as one of the original disciples and now serves as a warning to us if we follow in his footsteps. Not just you, me, can be replaced if we give in to toxic unity. God will remove you from this fellowship and another will take your place. I've seen people called to be in fivefold ministry, veer off because of toxic unity, and God raised up someone else to sit in their seat. And it's not that God was making a second choice or a lesser choice. He was trying to choose the one that he originated from the beginning, like Judas. And the one that was chosen was one that had been there the whole time and yet not recognized as one of the original 12. I want to see you make it. I want to see you accomplish what God originally destined for your life and not fall prey to the same thing that Judas did. Let's go back to Ephesians 4. We're going to pick up with verse 14 to get a clear picture of this warning. Shout it out. Come on. Then we will no longer be infants. Everybody say infants. infants. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. It's easy to trick an infant, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. They're hungry, you give them a pacifier. (laughs) Of course, they wise up to it, but it may take them a little while. In a much grander way, saints, what we're combating in this church is a deceitful scheming. It's a cunning and craftiness. And a way to measure your maturity is how much does does these, these things affect you. And watch as we break it down. Tossed back and forth by the waves. Waves are are tempests of times. Tumultuous back and forth. You can pay the bills this week, but not next week. You know, on and off, on and off. You live paycheck to paycheck, maybe even day to day. Oh, this is just way too much for me. And when money is in the bank, your faith in Jesus is at its ultimate high. The minute it drops to $5 left in the account... You are just screaming, why did you bring me in this desert to die, Jesus? I moved from wherever I left whatever to be part of this church. And if only I hadn't tithed, if only I hadn't given that extra offering, I'd be able to take care of myself this month. Come on, does that happen? Yes. That's really an indicator of your level of maturity, not the indicator of the character of God. Because as far as I see it, everybody here is clothed. Everybody here is well-fed, so we're not going without. And we live in each other's homes, so that's a split difference. But we have to be alert and aware to the deceitful scheming. The warning we see here is that when you distance yourself, like Judas, from the fivefold ministry, you will not be prepared and built up. You will not have unity of faith in the knowledge of Jesus. You will not become mature nor attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that comes from a toxic unity elsewhere, separating you from the very thing that Jesus has put in your life to bring you to a point of unity. Instead, like Judas, you will seek out a unity based on what you are against instead of what God is for. Judas was against the woman breaking the alabaster jar to anoint Jesus. And his motive was that he could take some of the money for himself. But the reason that he gave was that, oh, we can sell this and give it to the poor. This was a fruit of toxic unity. Judas was against Jesus giving up his life. Judas was against the plan that God had to restore the nation of Israel. Judas began with a seemingly innocent ambition 
to draw a distinction between his vision versus the will of his rabbi, who just so happened to be the son of God. Let me read this again. I want to make sure it sinks in. Judas began with a seemingly innocent ambition to draw a distinction between his vision versus the will of his rabbi. He sought out others who would support, enforce, and even finance his plan. And here's the innocent ambition. He isolated his plan from Jesus, hoping to accomplish something for God instead of with God. How many times have you done something for ministry trying to help this church out? And what I, what I mean technically is it's something that you probably knew you should have run by one of the elders and one of the pastors to get some aid and some insight. But you decided you just had, would have that conversation with that troubled person on the side and really not make mention of it and hope it all goes well. It may look something like those who are viewed by their past and not their present or those who just don't fit in. This is a dangerous place to be. The minute we begin to have innocent ambitions outside the purview of Jesus' control, outside of the unity of this body, is when we begin to produce the same fruit that Judas did. He gathered to him a unity of those opposed to Jesus and eventually led him to be unified with Satan himself. Come on, that's, that's really the end goal. Is that what your sinful nature is enticing you to do through that innocent ambition, through that toxic unity. Is that if I can just gather enough people around me that agree with what I see, then we can all, we can all change this. We, we can change the minds, and, and I, I think I see how to do this a little bit better at LCM. I see how fellowship can go better. I can see how women's ministry can go better. I can see how children's church goes better. And all the time... It's this innocent ambition that is subversive to the vision that Jesus did give this church. And you are disconnected from the very ones that have received that vision. They're steering it, guiding it, and working with everybody to join it. It's time to repent. It's time to repent of that innocent and yet devilish ambition. Judas sought out a toxic unity. Go to 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. David was an anointed king, being subverted by a wicked king, Saul. He was being chased in the cave of Adullam. And those that were against everything in their life, then became for the kingdom of God. Those that were against everything in their life were then polarized to become for the kingdom of God. I can guarantee you that when David influenced these men, because he was anointed by God to do so, they drew close to the leadership that God established. They were no longer in debt, distress, discontented. They were mighty men of valor. You are called to be mighty men and women of valor. You walk through these doors. The Holy Ghost led you through a connection, a relationship to come into this fellowship so that you could no longer be in debt. You could no longer be discontented. You could no longer be in distress. You are to be transformed or changed by the power of God. We are celebrating today that transformational power that's occurred in lives in this room. And what we desire 
Is in the same way that David impacted these men that we would call you to raise up to the standard of God's will and bring about a transformation as opposed to just a gathering or conclave of rebels. Toxic unity results in a conclave of rebels. Go to Genesis 11. Let's look at this a little bit further. On top of all this, I love my church. I love our church. That's a more unified approach. I love you enough to speak life. I love you enough to tell you what is at your doorstep seeking to choke you out and kill you. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. This was a toxic unity. In this plain of Shinar, Nimrod established the first centers of his kingdom, one of which was Babylon. The second one was in Assyria, and its headquarters was Nineveh. The two main points of contention against Israel and against God, this guy set up. It was here that the people utilized their unity of language and speech to build a tower symbolizing their ambition to build a name for themselves and not be scattered. Their toxic unity, through their toxic unity, they constructed uniformed building blocks that were baked thoroughly instead of using stone and mortar. Come on, we have bricks. We have bricks right behind me. These are cinder blocks, right? They're gathered. Their additives put to it. They all look the same. They fit neatly one upon another. And you can crank them out with your own strength. And with tar, it's easy to find. You just glue them together and you're going to stack them up. It's a quick and easy way to build. But how was the altar of God built? With uncut stones. And you were to fasten them together, join them tightly. Instead of choosing the materials that God has put on earth for you to build with, Instead, you go and you gather with others to make these uniform bricks of offense. And then you take them and collectively you put them in the oven of your anger and frustration. And you bake it thoroughly. That offense just sits there and it hardens and it hardens and it hardens. Because you know what it's like when you first get offended. You're upset, but immediately if you see that person and it's addressed, here at the altar, face to face at a fellowship, your heart begins to melt because that brick hasn't had time to set yet. It's still malleable. But the longer that it stays hidden within you in silence or you gather together with others and you'll have a brick baking party by covering all these offenses together, it just gets more solid. I mean, am I right? That whenever you have an offense towards somebody or something, you mention it to somebody else, and their recognition of it gives your recognition more validity. It gains substance and structure. What do you gather with others to build? This is an honest question that I want you to ask yourself this morning. What do you gather with others to build? Do you gather with those of similar offenses and construct pretensions of what you're against? Does your home with a maiden unify you to rush as one man against those who call out your idolatry? Do you choose to form bricks of offenses and bake them thoroughly in the oven of your anger while stacking one upon another to draw unnecessary distinctions between you and others in this church? If this is you, If this is the gathering you are a part of, even by your silent approval, not challenging the exaltation of toxic unity, 
then you must repent this morning. Repent. Let's pick up in verse 5 of Genesis 11. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us bow down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. This is where pastors begin to get happy. If you're right in shalom and unity with Jesus, this is where you get excited. God's going to fix this thing. The clear indicator that you are constructing a tower of toxic unity is when God begins to confuse your language. All of your justifications for offense, every emotion and feeling becomes nothing but babble in the presence of God. It's just noise. You you can't even understand what you're saying. You make no sense at all when you speak, only babbling in circles, hoping one of the points that you make finds an empathetic ear to give you credence. Come on, we've all been there. If you're married, you've been there. You've had that discussion. And you're just, you're just reaching for something that's going to stick to make you right. And the whole time, you are disunified with the standard of God's word. Let's go to Psalm 101. Come on, y'all getting something this morning? Amen. Because I love you. Psalm 101, starting in verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. This is a point in time where we have to measure our hearts. Our eyes must be open to see the deceitful schemes of men and the devil. That the presence of toxic unity is only a temporal power that God will judge and destroy. Let me read this to you. In Revelation 17, starting in verse 12. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They were joined in a toxic unity with Satan himself. And they were given a superficial power for a short period of time. You know, whenever you dwell and swim in toxic unity, you feel empowered that you can make a difference and change what you see as broken. But it's not the authority and power that God gave. It's the authority and power that your collective offenses and toxic unity has given. And let's see how it's dealt with. The one purpose of toxic unity is to ultimately give power and authority to Satan and his desire to destroy the unity of God. We know that Revelation builds into a a horse and a rider coming to destroy all of these entities and these with false levels of power. It is a blessing when God destroys the power that has been built around a toxic unity. Because the result should be godly sorrow. A godly sorrow leads to repentance that leaves no regret. It's not a sorry that I've been busted. 
It's a sorry of, I want to be transformed. I want to repent with a sincerity of action and deep conviction to be right before God and right with my brothers. I don't want to be disjointed from the body of Christ anymore because there is only one body, though there are many parts. If it is God's will for you to be in this place, then it is open rebellion to be here and yet not be here. You are missing what is needed for you to develop. You are withholding what is needed for us to develop and reach that point of unanimously achieving God's will. In the name of Jesus, we refuse to give any quarter to toxic unity in this church. We refuse to let bricks of offenses build a tower of toxic unity in this church. We refuse to let any one of you produce the same outcome as that of of Judas. Our aim is to prepare and unify. Let me say it again. Our aim is to prepare and unify. Our goal is to destroy the works of the devil in this church and establish an Acts 2 church that is empowered by the godly unity and gives way to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Our ambition is to die to our sinful need to draw unnecessary distinctions for the benefit of exaltation and instead seek out to bring life and success to our brothers and sisters around us, even if it costs cost us all that we possess. Will you join me today, saints, in these efforts and rid this church of any toxic unity? Yes. Let me ask again, will you join me today to rid this church of any toxic unity? Will we be unified in the name of Jesus? Come on, I need you to affirm that. I need you to take action to stand up against it. So right now, mighty God, we submit the thoughts and attitudes of our heart to you. We declare that we are unified in you. We are unified with your standard. We come against toxic unity in the name of Jesus. We die to self. We die to selfish ambitions. And we declare that the name of Jesus is the only one, is the only one to be exalted in this place. Let heaven come down to here, mighty God. Let heaven come down to here. Cleanse this church in the name of Jesus. Cleanse our hearts in the name of Jesus. Let us be purified, renewed, and transformed. Because we are yours, mighty King. We are yours, Jesus. Saints, unity that is based on offenses, unity that is based on unnecessary differences is no unity at all. Look at the person on your left. Look at the person on your right. Your life depends on those people. And that's not include the rows of people in front of you and behind you. We need each other in order to stay alive. We need each other in order to grow into him who is the head of this church. And by participating in toxic unity, you are cutting yourself off from that head. And that you run the risk of being replaced. You can have a seat. 1 Corinthians 12.12, turn there with me. Saints, what we are fighting for this morning is the life-giving Word of God. I don't want a sweet, sugary, confectionary message that makes me feel better about my flaws but gives me no action of what to do about them. I want the soul-wrenching, 
word to cut my heart in half. I wanted to judge every thought and attitude that I possess. Measure it against the will of God. Measure it against the word of God. And let's change to become more like Jesus and less like we used to be. I don't want an empathetic church that empathizes with the will of Satan. I want a, a congregation that is willing to storm the gates of hell, that is willing to lay down their lives at every turn for the sake of their brothers and their sisters next to them. No greater love has a man unless he die or give his life up for his brother. That's what I'm looking for. You ever had the thought that you were more spiritual when you were first born again than you are now? I have. In my case, I don't know about yours, I was just more naive to my true condition. And the transformational power of God was so much at work in me, it gave me hope of what yet was going to come. But over a period of time, that hope begins to wane. You become more aware of your real condition and confronted with the standard of God to change. And that's what today looks like. We are ever growing as a church. I've watched over the past year us come from the pits of hell and recover in unity. And I will spend, Wade will spend, Eric, Bosch, and Charlie, every last breath and everything else in between to see this church grow. To see this church grow, and but yet without unity, that's impossible. 1 Corinthians 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. The, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks. Verse 24. But God has combined, say combined, combined, the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. I've had lots of different types of relationships in the kingdom of God. And to be honest with you, outside of Jesus, that relationship would have never existed. But because of my relationship with Jesus and that other person's relationship with Jesus, now we have not just something in common, we have the most important thing in common. I can look in someone's eyes and see the transformational power of God, and there is no division between us. They are born of the same substance. But where there is division is when I look in someone's eyes and I do not see the presence of God. And now it is my duty to help them get right with God. And still there's no division. We have a responsibility to be the body of Christ. In our final scripture, we're going to conclude with a clear action of how to obtain this godly unity. Turn to Ephesians 4. We'll start in verse 15. Now, we just concluded verse 14 about the deceitful scheming, the cunning and craftiness, being like infants. Verse 15 starts out with a great word. It's instead. Say instead. Instead. It should give you hope. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The action plan of how to get out of or avoid toxic unity is that we must speak the truth in love. You know what that looks like? Going to the person that you have disunity with and in a self-sacrificing manner 
reconciling with them. Making yourself humble. If you're going to others in order to express your frustrations, instead of going to the, that person that their frustration is with, you're sinning. If you're going to others, meaning other than the person that you have a disunity with, in order to voice your frustrations, you are sinning. If you're an empathetic ear to everyone who comes to vent their offenses with others, and you do not immediately point them to get their hearts free from offense, repent of a carnal attitude, and go to go speak with that person in love, you are sinning. This is the akin to Absalom standing at the gates and bringing to himself those who had disgruntled issues and needed it resolved. You are being subversive and seditious to the lordship of Jesus in this body. If we do not speak the truth in love, we therefore cannot grow up into him who is the head. However, when we do speak the truth in love, Home with the Maiden is established on the clear standards of God's word. And it brings healing. Say healing. Healing. We need healing in our relationships in this church. It brings restoration. Say restoration. Restoration. You know what I see is a clear difference between healing and restoration? Healing is being able to bind up that wound to keep it from festering, to keep it from bleeding out and sealing it up and making it a closed case and that the flesh begins to mend together. That reconciliation is now that opportunity and ability to interact on a constant basis with that person. Trust me, we all know what it's like to be hurt by somebody and possibly somebody within this very room, but that does not exempt you from the responsibility to be the body of Christ. Reconciliation. Act upon it. Last is unity. That healing, restoration, then provides for us to be in that complete unity so that we're in worship, in fellowship, at a restaurant, sitting wherever, without having to even clearly point it out, being around others in the body of Christ, you can almost tangibly feel the unity that's in that place. Because that's the same exact unity that was present when the Spirit of God fell on Pentecost. They were crying out to God. They were obediently waiting for His presence. And it fell upon them. In the same manner, that's what we need in this house. The scripture in Ephesians indicates that the whole body is joined and held together. There is no part of the body that is exempt of being unified. There is no one in this church that is exempted from the responsibility to force their way into unity with Jesus and with each other. Say with me, with Jesus Jesus. and and with each other. It takes effort to be in unity. Can everybody married say amen to that? Amen. Amen. All the parents say amen to that. So here's my call to you. Will you make the effort to force your way into unity? Will you repent of any and every form of toxic unity? But then now we have the opportunity to respond here at the altar and more importantly respond with action after the altar so that we may experience the full measure of the presence of God. Stand to your feet.